Hello. How are you? Uh, hi, yeah, I'm well, thank you. It's been a very windy day here today and it's bright and sunny this evening. It's beautiful and, uh, you know, I had a day off yesterday, so you can't go wrong. Um, how about you? Yeah, it's, um, it literally rained through our windows yesterday, so uh, we're Ooh. feeling that. <laughs> hi. But um, welcome to everybody, because that's probably what yes. I should have started with, really. Welcome to all of you who are listening in and joining us yet again. Um, we've been really touched by the comments and the feedback that we've been getting, and we just want to really encourage people to keep um, sending that and sharing us. And um, thank you for letting us be a part of your Baptist world. Absolutely. Yes, it's so good to hear from people and really interesting to have conversations with people off the back of the chats that we've had with Jeff and, and with Emma. And interesting what bits are resonating with with different people and with their stories as well. So very grateful to everyone listening and indeed for for people for coming and being on the podcast as well. Absolutely. Um, so we, we thought we um, we're obviously a bit of a podcast fans over here um, and, and we were wondering kind of whether we should think about other podcasts that people might like as well and um, what would we recommend if they weren't obviously just tuning into uh, something to declare what what else what else would you enjoy listening to and um, I asked this question slightly um, to David earlier and he said oh I've got about 42 on my podcast list so um, <laughs> I, th- I think we might not have time for 42 do you have like a top three? Oh, oh, three. that oh, is quite a five. limit okay well yeah <laughs> I'll have a go um if you're listening to our podcast and you're a fan of the West Wing, and I'm a, a devotee of the West Wing, long time watcher, um, there's a podcast called The West Wing Weekly, where they take an episode a week, and uh, it's fantastic. So that's all finished now, but you'll be able to go back and start at the beginning. Um, I mentioned politics last week when we were talking about books, actually, and I like listening to each week uh, Matt Ford's Political Party and Jackie Smith and Ian Dale on For the Many as well. Got a couple of American politics podcasts, a couple of football podcasts. Um, Brené Brown's podcast, Dare to Lead and Unlocking Us, are both uh, excellent. Depending on who the guests are, it varies. Mm. And then uh, Lockdown Parenting Hell has been uh, a favourite <laughs> this last year. Uh, with Rob Beckett and uh, Josh Widdicombe. That's been that's been good. That's really appropriate because I'm going to have to close my door because um, Iggle Piggle has decided to get out of bed downstairs. So. <laughs> <laughs> I've got um, I've got a selection of interesting noises coming from uh, from from downstairs um, in my little boys' room. So that's. And <laughs> <laughs> um, what about you? Have you got any uh, regular podcasts you listen to? Um. So yeah, I'm so I'm a bit of a a, a cliche Radio Four girl actually. Um, so quite a lot of the things I listen to are BBC Sounds and yep, um, yep. yeah, just kind of classic radio shows. But um, I um, so I'm really pleased that It's a Fair Cop is back, which um, I enjoy a lot. Um, I'm a big fan of the Life Scientific. Um, also the You're Dead to Me podcast, the kind of horrible histories for grown-ups. I really mm-hmm. really enjoyed those. Um, and then um, otherwise it's um. No such thing as a fish, which um, get we've got a, a running okay. joke in our house. It gets called uh, "Never mind the fish" because I completely can't like hold the name of it in my head. And um, yeah, so we've uh, "Never mind the fish" as it's known. <laughs> um, but I we really I really enjoy that. I find that very easy listening to fall asleep to um, for the middle of the night. And and um, that's been one of the things I've enjoyed. To me, so I shall look them up and add them to my list. And uh, I shall enjoy listening to those. I've, I was saying earlier, I really don't watch much television these days. I, I've 
would sit and listen to a podcast while doing something else most of the time. Uh, so big fan of the developing podcast world. I've, I've heard that um, there's been a lot of stuff going on with Line of Duty and I have absolutely no investment in it because I haven't watched it. But oh, I've, I've, watched, I've watched like everybody else I know, like have a little implosion in the past week <laughs> at the end of Line of Duty. <laughs> it makes yep. me think... I, I kind of wanted to start watching it, but having realised it's got a rubbish ending, like, <laughs> like do I do I want to commit to this? I don't. Uh, know. I, th- I think you'd be fine. I I think the ending is intellectually very satisfying and emotionally woefully inadequate. And mm. uh, there's it's very clever and well thought through. But uh, yeah, we wanted an extra car chase and something really dramatic with with big dramatic music, and it didn't happen. So, mm. Anyway. Um, so this week on the podcast, we have Jeannie Kendall. Now, do you know Jeannie at all? No, I don't really know Jeannie, other than she's in a few of the kind of Facebooky social media groups that I'm in too. Um, and she always strikes me as a wise person who says wise things in the comments. So um, that's that's really how I know her. And obviously she's uh, plugged she's plugged the podcast, which is rather wonderful. So well done, Jeannie. <laughs> Absolutely right. Uh, Jeannie is a, a really good friend and someone I speak to um, a lot. Uh, I first met Jeannie there when I was at college at Spurgeons. Um, in my first year, we had to do a, a pastoral care and counselling module. And she was in local pastorate at the time, but used to come in to teach that module. And I still remember all the little tips and hints that we got taught then. There's a number of things that I do that are still shaped by some of those sessions. I remember one of the things that she said uh, it would be good for all ministers to do is for all ministers to have some counselling before they begin their ministry. It would be good for ministers to be as self-aware as possible to begin their processing. And being a really good student who wanted to do whatever I could to get myself in the right place, I decided that that would be a good thing to do. So I, I looked up and found uh, someone who lived around the corner from me, actually, a Christian counsellor, and I went... And it did not go well, I think it is fair to say. And partly because I probably didn't articulate it very well and partly because this lady was um, suitably eccentric. There were a lot of a lot of cats <laughs> coming in and out of the room during the session as well. Um, I don't mind cats, but it made it hard to concentrate. Um, and she just didn't get why I was there. We spent the whole time me trying to explain what I was doing and why this was important. Anyway, and then um, because I wasn't sure how this was going to go, I took the money for that one session with me in cash. And she explained to me towards the end, oh, no, don't worry, you just pay every three months by standing order order. I was like, well, take the cash for this one and uh, we'll see how it goes. <laughs> I mean, I've never seen this lady since. I, I've been, I have had some very helpful and thoughtful sort of you know, therapeutic relationships with someone who was very excellent when that was really helpful for me. But this was not that. This was a uh, uh, horrific experience. <laughs> um, and yet I still speak to Jeannie and she's still my friend, even though uh, I went through that. Uh, went through that cat ordeal. Yeah. But, <laughs> yeah definitely look up your counsellor on a professional body. <laughs> yes. I would recommend. Yeah. It, I did not uh, do the right things. Um, but I think Jeannie's desire for um, ministers to be well-equipped, self-aware, thoughtful, engaged, grounded is something that comes off quite well in the interview. So uh, let's, uh, let's have a listen in and 
then we'll talk about it together in a few minutes. Jeannie, welcome. Thank you. Great to have you as part of the podcast. Thank you for agreeing to do this today. Really appreciate it. It's always good to talk to you. Any context? Oh, well, um, got some questions we'll work through and we'll have a bit of a chat and uh, see how we get on. Um, I thought I might start by asking you that you uh, went freelance, I think is the language you've been using, haven't we? You, you stepped back from local pastorate um, a few months ago. Uh, I wonder if you might talk to us a bit about what that's been like. And, and I realise doing that in a pandemic is, is probably quite different to how it would be otherwise as well. How have you found the last few months having made that change? Yeah, it's been really interesting. Um, I had a bit of stick about calling it going freelance because I think some people thought that was my form of denial, you know, that I wasn't really <laughs> retiring. But I think it was a recognition that it, you don't retire in a way from ministry and you don't retire from life anyway. So it was my kind of saying, look, this is a change. This is a change in what I'm going to be doing, which is exactly what it has been. Um, it was really mixed because I absolutely loved local church ministry. Uh, I know it's got its challenges, but to me, it's just this huge privilege. Um, and both churches that I served in in that way are loved with a passion. And so it was really hard in that way to to leave. And the people um, I do miss enormously. But at the same time, uh, it's about knowing what is the right time. And I had a conversation with a friend probably three or four years ago now saying, oh, you know, how am I going to know? And um, they wisely said, you will know when it's the right time, you'll know. And that's exactly what happened. It came to a point I knew it was the right time for me. I knew it was the right time for the church. Um, and so in that sense, it was easy to make the decision, though, as I say, I miss them enormously. Um, yeah, it's, it's a funny old time. <laughs> it was a strange time to leave the church, really. In some ways, it made it easier because a lot of the things that I love weren't there. So... I mean, in worship, obviously, the worship is not the same, even when we can be in person uh, right now as it was. And so I miss that hugely. Um, what would have been my final Easter wasn't an Easter at all because it was so freshly into lockdown. So that was kind of tough. Um, I'm, I'm a bit of a hugger. So, you know, not hugging people on the door, <laughs> uh, not even being able to talk to them on the door, having to sort of direct them out from the stage. Um, so those things were really really difficult actually um as a way of leaving so it, it was that strange mix of of harder um because i couldn't end in the way i would have wanted to easier because so much wasn't there the church that i have to say did me amazingly proud um i had two identical services just so that everybody felt they'd have the same thing so <laughs> things were presented twice and um they did do it the same and i most treasured a, a book that people had written in things that they wanted to say uh, which I couldn't read for a while after I left <laughs> but I have managed to read it since and, and really treasure that but the final final bit of my leaving was I was cheered out of the car park with glow sticks people standing socially distanced <laughs> as I went to my car which wrecked me completely but was just yeah it was a great memory to have uh, to go so but a real sense of yeah this is the right time even amidst the muddle of all of that yeah and we're going to come on to talk about uh, your writing in, in a moment. But in terms of some of the things that local ministry involves, um, are you very much 
and I've done that, that part of life is closed, you, you know, I've, I've moved on, or are you still, uh, you know, doing a bit of preaching and getting involved with other things? How much of that is um, putting down sort of that church or that commitment and how much of it is all of that stuff is finished and put away? Well, I have to giggle with this one because I did quickly peruse the questions that you sent. Um, and I read, are you going to stay active? As Are you going to stay alive? So, <laughs> <laughs> so I was quite relieved when I realised this, uh, this wasn't what you were asking. But um, I'm really happy to lay down some things. So I'm really happy to lay down uh, the kind of unrelenting nature of pastoral work. I love pastoral work, um, but it does have that unrelenting feel. So. I don't know when the phone goes, think, oh, no, what's happened? <laughs> Which uh, I don't know if you ever have that feeling, but sometimes you can kind of get that. Um, so I'm kind of doing a bit of a mix. So I'm preaching when I'm asked and I, I enjoy preaching um, and I enjoy it probably a little bit more um, with having the space uh, to think about it, um, not being amongst all the other things. I'm helping a church in transition, actually. Um, the old moderator term uh, and I'm enjoying that feeling the responsibility of that um, but I mean I'm kind of enjoying I guess using I hope well I hope anyway using some of the skills that I've accrued over the years um, but it is good to be able to choose um, because I'm balancing it with other things um, I was given a gift when I left the church and I bought a food processor and I have what I know you've described as a baking ministry, <laughs> which is rather lovely, where I do a lot of baking and just give it to people, um, including family. So to have kind of quality time with them. Uh, I noticed when I first played with the grandchildren after I went freelance that uh, I was really there with them. I was mentally really there with them. I wasn't thinking about other things. and That's good. And perhaps I should have learned to do that before, but... Hey, um, so, so it's a real mix of some things, uh, but also laying some things down. Feels good. Well, glad, glad to hear that. And yeah, definitely a baking ministry. I'm always very impressed for the things you, you bake. I uh, look forward to, to sampling when uh, such things are allowed again. And, but one of the things I know you, you have to do is you've been writing, and you were doing that before you finished at, at Beaches as well, but uh, continuing on. Um, and your first book, Finding Our Voice, uh, which I've read and enjoyed uh, very much, uh, how, how do you go from, I think I've got an idea, to actually having a book published? How did you find that whole process? Uh, talk just a bit about where it started. It's quite extraordinary, to be honest. Um, I was going on sabbatical three years ago, I guess now, and I was talking to some people saying, you know, I'm going on sabbatical, you've got any ideas of, <clears throat> excuse me, of, of what I can um, do. And several of them said, I think you should write a book. And I said, oh, don't be daft. <laughs> you know? I've always written a bit, uh, poetry and stuff like that. Um, but I just dismissed it out of hand. And then I went on holiday with my husband to Jersey. And I love the sea. I'm a Cornish woman. You know, I'm, I'm never happier than when I'm sat beside the sea. And we were both on a kind of cliff top in that sort of companionly silence that you have um, watching the waves watching the birds and very clear came to me you need to write a book on sabbatical and this is what it is um, and I thought oh 
oh, okay. And the idea was very clear. I'll come back to that in a minute if you want. But um, kind of left it there, went down to supper with my husband now. Um, I love my husband dearly. We've been married nearly 40 years, but he doesn't read anything I write. It's just not, it's just kind of not where he's at. Um, so we sat down and we were kind of eating supper and he said, you know, when we were sat up on the cliff top. Like, yeah. He said, I really believe God told me you should write a book on your sabbatical. I have to say, if I wasn't in a restaurant, I probably would have kind of fallen off my chair. <laughs> but um, and, and so I kind of said, well, actually, and, and explained what had happened. And he said, well, then you've got to go for it. Um, now, I hadn't got a clue on how you do these things. Um, I've learned since it can be incredibly difficult to get a book published. And a lot of people go self-publishing now, of course. Um, but I did have a friend who had. So I kind of said, oh, um, you know, you've got a con. Have you got a, an email or something? So I emailed in a proposal. That's what it said to do. Um, and they said, "Oh, interesting. Send us a couple of chapters." Now this was Christmas, and Christmas as a minister, of course, is really busy. But somehow, in this kind of Christmas period, I sent a couple of chapters. Didn't hear anything for a bit. Thought, "Oh, well, that's obviously not going to happen." So I sent them a little prompt email, um, and they said, "Oh, we're so sorry. We, you know, we thought we had." Um, absolutely, we want to publish this book. Please finish writing it. Um, and they were brilliant um, in all sorts of ways. But it was a, a whole journey of unknown quantities, you know, like learning a whole new trade, I guess, um, how it all happens. But, yeah, it's it's been an extraordinary journey. And tell us a little bit about, about the book, about finding a voice. For someone who hasn't read it, what's the sort of basic sort of concept? What's the gist? So um, it came from, I'd long had um, a kind of fascination with the unnamed people in the Bible. Um, and I'd written some poetry about some of them. And I just thought this is what it needs to be. It needs to be looking at some of these unnamed characters, male and female. And so it's a really simple format, actually. It's a mix of an imaginative retelling of some of the unnamed people in the Bible. Um, the text from the Bible, which I kind of had to fight for a bit, but I wanted the book to be able to be given as a gift to someone who might not read the Bible normally, but was fascinated with stories. And then the other segment of the chapter is um, a modern story, true story. They're all absolutely true. None of it's fictional. Um, or somebody on the same theme. And they're quite gutsy themes, um, loss and abuse uh, and, and things that, perhaps can be difficult to think about. And I hoped that giving people a voice uh, for those things that they experience in their lives might perhaps help people to find a voice somewhere, you know, with a trusted friend, with a helper, however it might be. And I, I really hope that's been the case. Mm. Yeah. And uh, what was the feedback like? I think the book's been out there a little while now. Uh, some, you, you don't kind of get masses. Um, Interestingly enough, I mean, friends, of course, say nice things, but they would, wouldn't they? <laughs> um, but I have I've had some and uh, it still kind of drips its feet in from time to time. Even now, I think people discover it. And um, so not masses, but what I have had is some of it's been quite moving of people that have found their voice, which is what it was all about. have been able to tell somebody something, being able to say, yes, I'm depressed. I've been able to say these things happen to me and, and I need help. Um, so, so that's yeah, that's been when that's happened. That's been incredibly encouraging. 
and all the things that your publisher will have arranged or you will have arranged to uh, get the book out there, uh, launch events, and I know you've done a couple of interviews on radio and that sort of thing, and publicity. I mean, do, did you enjoy all of that or uh, is it something that you tolerated in order to write the book? Yeah, it was a it was a painful part of the process for me. Um, I'm in Myers Briggs terms. I'm off the scale introversion, and I'm actually naturally a very shy and private person, which I know seems weird in a minister. Um, but that was different, you know. When I was um, when I am preaching, then you're you're seeking to concentrate people on God's word and what He has to say. It's not personal in in that sense. I mean, it's in a, another, of course, but. So to actually kind of go on the radio or have a book launch as me, um, it was terrifying. <laughs> but I chose somebody I knew well for the book launch. So we tried to make it a little bit like this, a conversation between friends. Uh, I don't think it'll ever be my comfort zone. But if you believe really strongly that you want what you've written to help people, then for me, at least, it's, it's kind of a price worth paying. But uh, I guess some people would love it. But, yeah, I don't. I really don't. But I guess you're preparing to embark on it uh, again uh, because you've got another book coming out later this year, Held in Your Bottle. Uh, tell us a bit about that. Yeah, I, I love this book. Not that I didn't love the last book, but I really love this book. So um, I wasn't particularly looking to write a second book. I thought I might at some point, but they always say everyone's got one book in them. I thought that might be all I had. Um, but I was researching for a sermon, actually, and in the random way that you look at all sorts of stuff on the Internet when you do that. I came across a, a lady photographer who'd taken photographs of her tears, cried in different occasions, and she'd put them under an electron, electron microscope um, and photographed. And they were extraordinary, the different complex nature of, of just how they looked. And that kind of set me thinking about all the times in the Bible when people cry in incredibly different circumstances. The Bible's full of tears. Um, and so I, I thought about that and thought about our own emotional life. And I don't know if I'm allowed to say it, but my experience um, when I was a counsellor and, and in ministry is a lot of Christians are so uncomfortable with their emotions and particularly what they perceive as negative emotions. So anger, for example. I once had somebody say to me when I was in ministry, um, well, I, I'm very angry, but you wouldn't understand that because, of course, you're a minister, so you never get angry, which uh, I, I tried to answer sensitively yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, and honestly. So I embarked on that sort of journey. And so there are some similarities. There's uh, an imaginative retelling of, of the Bible text around the particular kind of tears, all sorts of different uh, kinds of tears um, of uh, gratitude and uh, anger, of loss and so on. Um, and again, the sort of modern, uh, entirely truthful story, a uh, very honest story. But then I've actually reflected from my experience as a counsellor, uh, as a minister, as a human being on those topics. And it's more personally honest than the previous book. I've spoken about my own ambivalent attitude to tears and what a journey that continues to be um, and some of the things in my own history. So it's a bit of a vulnerable one, this one, uh, you know, kind of putting yourself out there in that way. Uh, but I really think this could help people. Um, I, I fully believe Jesus was the most emotional person who ever lived. 
because I don't think he had all those things that <clears throat> constrain us in our emotions. Um, and so I want people to be more comfortable with their emotions, to have what Brenny Brown would call curiosity. You know, oh, that's an interesting feeling. I wonder what's going on there. Uh, so I hope it will really help people, um, whether they have a faith or not, to, to uh, understand themselves a little bit better. And when can people get hold of the book? So it comes out on September the 10th this year. So still quite a long run in. Um, I am taking pre-orders, little plug <laughs> via my <laughs> website if uh, people want to find me um, that way. Uh, but yeah, so but it's being printed now. So I'll have my hand on copies soon, but it doesn't come out till 10th of September. Oh. So you mentioned about, obviously you've written the books, you mentioned about having written poetry before. I know you like taking photographs and you mentioned how Photography was part of the inspiration of your new book. So all quite sort of creative, artistic things, uh, which seem to sort of bring life and things you appreciate. How have you found being someone with that sort of creative bent in ministry? Uh, yeah. It's so interesting, isn't it? Because I don't think of myself as creative. Um, I can't draw. Oh, it's a family joke. I can't even draw stick people properly. <laughs> um, you know, they, they can, uneven legs or whatever. Um, and actually, um, none of us as a family can. Um, I, I can't paint. I can't do any of those things. So I don't think of myself as creative. Uh, I, I suppose it's only very recently that I thought, actually, perhaps, <laughs> perhaps I am. Uh, but certainly in ministry, I loved doing... Um, creative things in planning services so one of my favorite times of the year was always Easter with the capacity for and particularly in Good Friday where there's not so much of a, a set way of doing things um, to be able to think creatively about how that happens um, I like writing liturgy and writing prayers um, so I love that I, I, I suspect if I'd realized earlier uh, how much I loved it, I probably might have done a bit more um, but uh, there's still time, so who knows? Yeah, who knows? So you mentioned obviously ministry, and before that you were a counsellor, and before that you were a teacher as well. Yeah, I was. Uh, and one of the things, well, how I first came to to meet you was through a teaching context, because uh, while you were at Streatham, Spurgeon's roped you into teaching pastoral care and counselling to some of. Uh, their first year ministerial students, such as myself. Um, and I think you taught encountering world faith at some point there as well, if I remember correctly. Uh, did you enjoy uh, sort of coming back to teaching in a different context? I really loved it, actually. Um, the world faith was kind of a bit of a um, villain. I can't remember what happened. Someone must have been taken poorly or something. And because I taught world religions in school, they sort of wrote me in. Uh, which was fine until they announced that on the first lecture that there was an inspection. So um, oh, no. that, that's more associated with anxiety than anything else. But I loved teaching pastoral care and counselling and taught it in different contexts. So uh, for a couple of years, I taught it to a group who were training specifically in evangelism. And that was fascinating because I would go in and explain what I was going to teach. And, and literally they would say, we don't need this stuff. You know, people just need to, they, they need to get to know Jesus, that's all, you know. And by the end, they would be saying, oh, okay, yeah, I can see how this might be really helpful. So that was so satisfying because I believe passionately that the more we understand ourselves and understand other people, 
And above all, the more we're able to listen, um, then, then that's a great gift. You and I were speaking about the David uh, Augsburger quote, weren't we, that um, being heard is so close to being loved that for the average person, they're almost indistinguishable. Um, and I just absolutely think that is true. There is so little good listening. And as Christians, we can be wanting to fix stuff, whether that will fix you by you coming um, to faith in Jesus. And don't mishear me, that's fantastic. Um, but sometimes it is that, that we want to fix things rather than let's sit with you as long as it takes. Hear who you really are. Hear what your story is. I'm fascinated always with people's stories. Um, if we can listen well and people experience us as people who love, um, then they're much more open to anything else that we might have to say. So I'm a huge believer in, in people. In, we can all improve their skills. You know, I can be rubbish at listening sometimes. Um, but yeah, it's something I'm really passionate about, as you can tell. <laughs> and you're doing some teaching at, at Spurgeon's College at the moment as well, anything on the pastoral supervision uh, course. Tell us a bit about that. Yeah, so that's a course that's been franchised um, from some folks. And it comes really from the principle that not just ministers, actually, a lot of helping professions don't have necessarily the support um, and the literally supervision, of course, is watching over um, that people need, juggling a lot of different things. Uh, and so it's training people to pastorally supervise others. Uh, it's not uh, the same as spiritual direction, not the same as line management, most definitely. Um, it just gives people the space to talk about their work that they're doing. It's kind of work focused. Um, sometimes they will just need to say, look, this has been awful this week. These really difficult things have happened. Other times they might need some kind of uh, unpacking of perhaps a difficult relationship and so on. Um, yes, yeah, really, again, something that I'm really passionate about that I think all ministers would benefit from. Hopefully with the new kind of continuing ministerial development as well, it's something more people might take on board. Um, just to help them develop as, as helpers. Yeah, I mean, I've got a pastoral supervisor and I find it a really helpful uh, thing to have as part of the, the overall network of how one sustains and supports in ministry. Yeah. Sure, yeah. Continuing on perhaps the link with, with Spurgeon's, you were a president of Spurgeon's College Conference uh, a few years ago. Uh, wonderful to be chosen or elected to such esteemed office, uh, but um, each person who gets it, sort of gets their, their own day conference and gets to choose their own theme. And I wonder if you might tell us about what your theme was and, and why you chose it. Yeah, certainly. I mean, I have no idea why they asked me to do that because when I kind of looked at people who've done it before and people who've done it since, they've kind of been uh, names, if I can put it like that, um, but certainly usually more well-known than, um, than I am. Uh, and because of that, I quite deliberately chose the theme Ordinary Saints. Uh, and it was, the day was really um, aimed at us celebrating the ordinary, the everyday. And, and some of it, I guess, is I worry that the church gets pulled into the, the whole kind of celebrity thing that is out there in society, that unless you're a name, unless you've got a following, unless you've got enough followers on Twitter and, and all of that, that you, you don't count. 
Um, but some of the most heroic people that I have met um, have been ordinary, and no one will ever probably hear their story, um, apart from when I've had the privilege, or those around them have had the privilege to do so. So it was very much uh, kind of celebrating that. And actually, the feedback I had certainly from students and people who came really, really appreciated that. It was an incredibly down-to-earth day. Um, we had some, you know, we had some great speakers, yourself included, but uh, it, it was just allowing us to say, uh, we don't have to be famous. We don't have to be known. Uh, we need to be faithful. Uh, and I, I told the story of a couple who um, are probably the most heroic people I've ever met in terms of faith, who had a baby who died in utero and asked me to be there for the delivery. And uh, the, the lady concerned um, had tears running down her cheeks as they held their beautiful baby boy, sadly died. Um, and she thanked God for the time they had had with him. And her grief was absolute, both her and her husband, but they're holding on to God nonetheless, and their gratitude to God was also equally genuine. And we don't hear enough about heroes of the faith like that, you know. Uh, wonderful, wonderful. Uh, and there's a lot out there who need to be celebrated, ordinary saints. Am I right in thinking that you, you even got a bit of an input into, you know, the lunch menu? <laughs> I, yeah, I, I can't remember what we had in the end, but I asked for it to be uh, fish and chips, I think. Because <laughs> uh, it's normally, I mean, you know, Malcolm's a brilliant chef and it's normally fabulous, but I wanted an ice cream. I wanted it to be ordinary, you know, which is great. I can't, I can't remember how they, what exactly we did eat. I was probably too nervous, but um, yeah, ab let, let's, let's enjoy um, the ordinary and not see it as mundane. And I mean, here's to more Christian conferences having chips. I know <laughs> a movement I could really get behind. I think. As um, long as it's with mayonnaise. <laughs> <laughs> Thankfully, I feel like we may in the world, even at Christian conference centres, move beyond, you know, pudding has to be fruit salad and there's only water. <laughs> I think even, even in Christian places, we might have moved beyond that. So we've got two questions that we ask everybody who comes on the podcast. And I'm going to ask them to you. Uh, and the first one is, if you had one thing to declare to the union in this moment, what would it be? Well, you did kindly tell me about this question. And um, I went a little bit all the way around the houses with it. And then I came back to something which I guess most people listening will say, oh, is that the best she can manage? That is so wishy-washy. And anybody who knows me well will say, well, of course, that's what she was going to say. And it is simply love one another well. And I've got to the point in my life, I guess, where I think there's so much that we can do. But if we don't do it from love, love that we've received from God, first of all, and love that we're then giving out to other people, um, what's the point? And yeah, I know that sounds ridiculously simplistic, but if we gauge everything through, how well are we loving people through this? So easy example, support for ministers. How well are we loving ministers? And actually equally important, I would say, 
how well are we loving those around them? You know, what's the support for them? My husband, God bless him, has had no support at all in all the years that I've been in ministry. There was at one point a local group for ministers' wives, and he wasn't invited. Mm. <laughs> um, when when I uh, went freelance, I got a, a nice letter from the BU, um, but you know, no acknowledgement that actually he <clears throat> has been as a part of my ministry every bit as much. But in all sorts of other areas as well, you know, in the cause that we're rightly making for justice of all kinds, <clears throat> um, is that from love? Because uh, it needs to be from love and not from anger. So it's a really simple answer, but in all honesty, it's the only one that I can give from my heart, and that's who I am. That's as good a place as any for it to come from. Thank you. And, and the second question. If you think uh, Baptists have one thing to declare to the world, what would it be? Yeah, <clears throat> I think with that, I think something around don't be afraid to question. Um, Baptists from their earliest days have been people, because we're not tied to the state church in the same way, we can be a little bit um, dissident, we can be a little bit, this isn't how you should do things. We can call things out. Um, and I think that's a really important thing to keep doing. But it's also a really important thing to encourage others to do. Um, to, to say when something doesn't feel right, when it doesn't feel honest, when it doesn't feel it's got integrity. And that's something across our world that is needed, for sure. So I think that it would be that. Great. Well, thank you so much for coming on the podcast and sharing with me today. We're really, really pleased to hear from you and hear about what's going on and look forward to reading Held in Your Bottle in due course. Thank you. And it's been an absolute pleasure. Um, so thanks for having me. So, Beth, it was uh, my little chat with uh, Jeannie. What did you make of that? Anything particularly strike you? Oh, yet again, it's the tone, isn't it? Just what a gloriously lovely person that she sounds. And I, um, I think, can can she be my minister? <laughs> yeah, what, what a privilege it must have been to have her as your minister. And she sounds like a really caring and kind person and just very wise and full of lots of things. Um, I was I was particularly taken with um, very early on. She talked about the topography of tears um, mm. images, and um, and I I was I was thinking I use those all the time, and I can't remember where I got them from, and whether I might have got them from her, I don't, I don't know. But um, I I've used those images a lot, especially in this kind of world of digital worship, where it's helpful often to have a reflective image to use um, so that people don't feel like they have to pray by kind of looking at each other's faces with their eyes half closed. Um, and um, and I've used them in sermons and I've used them with, uh, with kind of, yeah, in various places in various ways, because I think they, um, they are such striking images. So I would really encourage people to go and have a look for those because um, they're, they're very clever. They're really very clever. And the way they're connected with the title that she puts to them of, of what she'd been crying about. Um, 
that yeah it's hard it's hard to, it's hard to explain audibly actually actually i think it's one of those moments you really need a visual thing go so i would recommend going and looking those up um and then yeah i i if i've shamelessly plagiarized this from uh from genie i may have done i don't know i can't remember where i got it from <laughs> all in all in the work of the gospel though so it's fine um then uh, i would recommend you do the same because um yeah it's been a really helpful way of taking people through lament especially yeah, I, I think um, there's so much in there um, which is so helpful. And I think the importance of churches and ministry being emotionally healthy, um, I think is so crucial to sustaining ministry um, and having churches as, where people can laugh with those who laugh and cry with those who cry. And you can't do that if you're trying to not cry <laughs> or not laugh. <laughs> Yes, yes, maybe we're good at one or the other sometimes, I, I'm not sure, sure. I was really struck by what she said about Jesus feeling all of his feelings and mm. how free he would have been to feel his feelings. Um, which I, I will, I, it's one of those things I'm probably going to think about all week. Um, but I was really, I thought to myself, I wonder if that means that Jesus felt shame. Because oh, that's interesting. Yeah, or guilt, because presumably he never did anything that was sinful. So, I mean, I was, shame is usually, a, I would say, is more of a social thing that you can feel shamed, can't you? Even if you don't feel mm-hmm. um, shame from something. But I, yeah, I just it it made me really wonder, like, oh, I wonder if there's a limit if you are without sin to any of the emotions you would feel. Yeah, that that isn't <laughs> that isn't something I have a quick response to. That is. Uh... <laughs> Uh, something that's going to require some some thought um yeah but that's i I kind of want us to phone genie back and find out what the answer is (laughs) (laughs) we'll have to have a recall episode at some point people can people can join in the chat though like you know yeah tweeters tweeters or facebookers or send us an email and let us know what the answer is please we want to we want to know theologically could jesus feel shame (laughs) yeah emotionally feel guilt um if he was without sin would there have been a limit to any of his emotions so i I want to know um yeah there's a there's a thesis in there definitely um yeah i mean i'm not going to be the one to write it so if anyone else out there wants to do the the legwork on this then uh, by all means uh, it's it's probably already been written actually yeah yeah i expect so I'm reading a book at the moment that describes itself as being theologically a bit moody, and I uh, rather enjoy that. Theologically a bit moody. Yeah. Interesting description. Um, Um, Talking of books, I mean, I've read uh, Jeannie's first book, Finding Our Voice, which I definitely wouldn't describe as theologically moody. Um, In fact, I did write one of the um, little blurbs, but I can't remember exactly what I said, other than I loved how... Jeannie manages to weave together the biblical stories and a reflection on that, but also with the contemporary stories. And she's so good at telling stories. I mean, she's she writes really great poetry as well. And I think that all comes from a similar place in a way, um, this gift for just giving you a line which enables you to capture that moment. It's, it's such a gift to be able to do that. You've got to be able to see it. Um, I definitely, folks haven't read Finding Our Voice, be very happy to commend that to you. 
So I, I have to confess, I haven't read it. And I did think out of listening to it, I was like, well, I'm going to go and look up all your books. Going to become a devotee. Yeah. Um, yeah. Um, yeah, I thought um, also what she said about um, listening and love. Is it? Um, I know she was quoting somebody else, but I thought the idea that they they felt the same, being listened to well and being loved. And um, I, oh, yet yeah, again, another gem that's going to stay with me from today. I, yeah, that did make me feel very envious of people who had had her as a minister because I expect they felt very loved. And there's something in that, I think, in the way the church can be with, with the world. You know, people don't have time to stop and listen, or if, if they do, they don't take it. You know, it's not something that the world is burdened with. And as a church, one of the prophetic things I think we can do is sort of flow in a different stream in terms of our chronology. You know, everyone doesn't need to have a six minute clock uh, on the wall when they sit down to talk to us about whatever it is. And that space of really being able to do some deep listening uh, is a gift that the church gives to the world, actually, when the church is healthy. Um, mm -hmm. And there is a limit to how you can't you can't program and strategize that it's messy but it's so important. Um, and if you can connect with people in that way, I think it opens up all sorts of possibilities. But that deep listening, I think, is something I long for the church to, to see as a core part of, of how, we, how we are mm. with the world. Yeah, we've, um, we've been thinking a lot about listening as a team, actually, and, and just um, what does it mean to listen well and how do we listen to different voices? And um, I think that's, yeah, I, th I think you're right that that deep listening is is such an important task. I always, um, when I'm in pastorate, I've always been really struck by uh, what people will say to you after you've prayed with somebody. Um, mm. So you've you've listened to their story, and you, um, I think you often can show that in the way you pray. I think afterwards, um, and I'm I'm assuming this is a, a pastoral relationship that involves prayer, but um, but but assuming it is, and it is you know something in your congregation or, or somebody who come to you for that sort of pastoral supervision and perhaps we could talk about pastoral supervision in a minute as well but um uh you when they when you pray and you show that you've heard themes that maybe they haven't heard as they've been saying it um and and that you've brought them before god in a particular way i'm always struck that i um I, i've made a commitment to never say anything and let them break the silence afterwards um and um I, I can't remember who taught me to do it, but it's been one of the most helpful pastoral like kind of techniques, if that's the right way of putting it. I don't yeah. want to technique yeah. people, but um, it's I you know it's a, it's a it's a technique um, that allows people then to um, to say something, and I always think whatever people then say always is the real thing that that that's the grace moment, um, and sometimes that can be incredibly complex or painful or sometimes it's deeply beautiful like but but th that's that's where you you know that's where god was at you know you could see that having having heard their story and brought it before god that that's then the moment of revelation and i'm mm. i'm always every time it happens in pastoral care it was just this moment of just being able to witness it is so hugely extraordinary and um yeah that's one of those things that i've always um thought about um pastoral supervision we've um just sort of glanced over that phrase but um i 
actually it was something that you guys talked about in the in the conversation and um mm. how important that's been um is, is pastoral supervision something you've had because Jeannie recommended it to you or <laughs> I mean that's a good default for me for anything but <laughs> on this particular occasion I got there before um so I've had a pastoral supervisor I don't know for a couple of years I guess now it's Jeff from episode one he's my pastoral supervisor um and I found it so helpful I think I've had I guess spiritual directory type people that I've seen. I've had more sort of explicit mentory type people I've seen. To be honest, I've struggled to make either of those quite work in an ongoing, consistent way, although I'm very grateful for the lovely people who've inputted into my life in those ways. And I happen to be with Jeff at an th- uh, event talking about the Enneagram, actually, uh, was here in our church for uh, ministers in the local area and stuff. And he was talking about these beginning this pastoral supervision uh, work. And I thought, this is, you know, this would be great. This could be the kind of, I feel like it kind of treads the line between those two things. So it has all the helpful boundaried things that come uh, that are so healthy. Um, anyway, and so that's, it's really, really helped uh, me. And I really appreciate that. So although it's relatively new, uh, it's something I intend to maintain as part of my, my practice but what about you have you is it something you you've done and made use of yeah I did um kind of returning back um into ministry from having my first baby I think um I realized that I was doing a lot of care for a lot of other people um that there was now this you know this hugely high need thing that happened at home as well as in every you know as well as church and um I think when you re-enter as well, you come in a bit. I think I felt like I came back from maternity leave a bit as a different person that it had left. As I think transitioning into motherhood was a huge transition for me, but it came with lots of practical questions and considerations as well. And, and suddenly, kind of thinking, I should need a space to work out some of this, um, and um, and just have some guidance. And I was dealing with a lot of really very complicated pastoral care situations at the time um in a setting that was open to the public and had a lot of stuff going on um you know I did a lot of crisis care really and I think I was aware that I was um trying to shape a church community going through that but thinking there's no space to look after myself so how am I going to find that and where am I going to find that um so I got a pastoral supervisor um I don't even know how that happened other than I think I googled something like ministry sort of like a spiritual I think I maybe Google spiritual direction actually and I think it came up so I got it through Serum uh and I used to go so it's it used to be like half a day and it used to happen about every six weeks or so and I used to drive down in the car and um could do it uh the freedom of being in local pastor it was that you could clear half a day to go and do something like that um I think the drive was part of the part of what worked for it, actually because you can kind of just think through your thoughts you know on the way there what do, I, what do I need to talk about what's the things that are really worrying me and that in itself is a process um but having somebody else's wisdom was just really very helpful and I liked the fact that it was that borderline between somebody listening to you and therefore you feel heard and you feel supported and um just gives a space for your own emotions and your own spirituality but um but also somebody having practical advice right what about if you did this could you do that are you missing a situation over here that because you're blind to your own blind spots aren't you so having somebody else just gently point those out to you Mm -hmm. um 
it has to be a relationship of kindness, I think, um, for it to work. <laughs> um, it was, yeah, I found it hugely beneficial. And I think it really held me through that that period of my ministry. So big thumbs up from the podcast on the benefits of uh, pastoral supervision. Um, one of the things that I was reflecting on having chatted with, with Jeannie, and I guess really that runs partly at the heart of the whole podcast, <laughs> really, it's just the the importance of good friends in ministry and people you can walk the journey with um, and making the effort to sustain those relationships. I'm you know, not saying that's something I, you know, uh, do well, really, but I just, I increasingly appreciate having other people who are trying to do this too, um, that you can share with and who get that there are weeks when you can't reply to anything because that's just how it is. And just yeah who you, you almost don't need to explain so much of the context of why that's important which um i found that really helpful and just the importance of sustaining those those friendships but i mean how, have, does that resonate with you have you found it similar i think um i'm always struck when you get the college group back together that um that for me is is i think because you form maybe not everybody but our, i think our group formed quite intensely we were quite I expect a really tricky group to teach at college <laughs> but we um I think I think in many ways um our intensity um work we I yeah I often just think we pick up where we left off and I think um when you get us back together in the room that you can go deep very quickly but you don't you don't have to sit around doing small talk it's nice to catch mm. up and it's nice to hear how each other's churches are going and what's going on and how are the kids and you know has the new partner or you know the car broke down you know how how's your mom those sorts of issues but I think um one of the gifts of it for me is uh being able to quite quickly talk about the real stuff um and I think um those friendships are 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 just so enriching actually I saw a friend um um, actually, in real life, you know, you remember that we walked around with coffee, <laughs> pushed a fresh lorry around in a pram, and he got increasingly grumpy because it was quite cold. Um, but I saw, I saw a friend. It was just she just gave me. I mean, she just gave me space to talk about what was, you know, just just my life really. And and I was so grateful for it because I think um, I hadn't realised how much I needed it until it just all came spilling out. <laughs> I thought, gosh, there was a lot in here, and um yeah she was she was lovely and I just think it's those those people who I think you you can't underestimate the importance of them yeah having people got your back is so important isn't it (laughs) it is it really is I think that makes such a difference when you're dealing with almost anything uh, is to know that there are people who however badly this is about to go there are going to be people who are prepared to sit and have a cup of tea with me on the other side of it I think is really important (laughs) dealing with the almost anything there is a phrase that describes ministry you see if you wrote a book David you could call it that that's a good um, do you reckon yeah that would be a good a good capturing of what pastoral ministry feels like (laughs) (laughs) well um Beth it's your turn to the blessing this week so I'll do that in a second and just before we do that though uh say to people we do have a an email address which our church here is hosting if people want to get in touch it's declare 
as in something to declare. So it's declare at stbbc.org.uk, as in Saint BBC or Shubriness and Thorpe Bay Baptist Church, because it's the longest church name in the world. We tend to just <laughs> use it as initials. Um, so, or if you've got folks, you know, who who would you be interested to have us talking to? Who makes you glad to be part of our Baptist movement? Mm. That would be really interesting um, as well. So that's declare at stbbc.org.uk or indeed on Twitter, on Facebook or any other way in which you feel like you could get in touch with us. It, it does sound like you've sainted the BBC, which considering we run a podcast, it's like, are we like the holy BBC? Oh, <laughs> Mm, that's worth some thinking. <laughs> Does your wife work for the BBC? <laughs> uh, in the past, not not anymore. Um, <laughs> sometimes makes programs that appear on the BBC, but she does work in television still. Yeah, we've uh, you know had had many CBBS uh, conversations because that's where she worked most of the time. And uh, whenever I used to go and do RE lessons in school, word had got out that Anna worked at CBBS and. We do half an hour, 40 minutes on whatever profound thing I was doing with year three that week or year one that week. And always, I always leave plenty of time for questions because that's the fun stuff with RE in school. And every time it would be, do you know Mr. Tumble or whatever? You know, they that they totally jumped over this profound, amazing, resource-laden RE lesson I'd done. I just want to know if I knew Big Cook and Little Cook or whoever else it was that had been on at that particular moment. I have never met Mr. Tumble. I'm putting that out there now. But I'm married to someone who has. So there you go. Mr. Tumble. Really? Yeah, quite, quite freaked out by him. Um, Does she have anything to do with In the Night Garden? Because my um, (laughs) my little boy thought um, that In the Night Garden uh, made perfect sense when we started watching it. And if you've ever watched In the Night Garden, I appreciate this. This might be a bit niche. it's it's not something that you would describe as making sense. It it would maybe make sense if you were on some um, quite strong pain medication, um, <laughs> and, uh, and and it's um yeah it's got these like random bells that ring in the garden as as one part of it and um and and Theo just looked at me and he said, "See, mummy, um, church bells, church bells ringing." <laughs> it was totally getting- logical. I just remember thinking, what is my life that I've I've made in the night garden make sense to my child? That is quite impressive. Now, Anna, Anna's never had anything to do with in the night garden. She did spend uh, some time working on one season of uh, Strictly It Takes Two, the live show in the week, and managed mm-hmm. to get some tickets for Strictly that year um none of which landed in my direction all all three sets of of tickets found their way um mostly to my mother-in-law actually um Mm. and i think that's probably probably fair enough yeah she was quite popular that year as well so cbb strictly it's great it's great to have another world i mean we're drifting into another thing now but i love that anna functions in a totally different context and setting for work and uh when I don't want to talk about church, that's wonderful. Mm. Um, even if I don't understand all the technical things that she's doing. Anyway, um, the blessing, it's yeah, over to sorry. you. <laughs> Terrible at endings, aren't we? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I'm gonna leave. Um, well, thank you everybody for uh, listening in. And, um, and we want to send you and ourselves off with this blessing. Living God, enable us this day to be pilgrims and companions. 
committed to the way of Christ, faithful to the call of Christ, discerning the mind of Christ, offering the welcome of Christ, growing in the likeness of Christ, engaging in the mission of Christ, in the world that belongs to Christ. Amen. Amen. Beth, lovely to see you. Have a good rest of the week. Thank you and you. See you soon. Bye. Bye.